On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast with Steve Mason and Sue Kalinske, some deep conversation. A few weeks back, you heard Sue Kalinske interview me. Now I turn the tables on her. We get to know Sue like we never did before. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and at stevemason.com. And don't forget, leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani. Call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Everybody, welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason. That's Sue Kalinsky. Sue, how are you? Are you nervous? Are you nervous about this? I'm. Um, I'm actually not nervous about it, but I question whether I need to have an attorney with me. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we'll be good. We'll be good. So you did this for me. You did an interview of me. I thought it went really well. People really loved it. I'm like, yeah, but you know, there's stuff about Sue that I just don't know. I've known her 20 years and I, there's still stuff, stuff I don't know about you and stuff I've always wondered about. So this is sort of like free reign to be able to ask you anything, right? Anything you want. Anything. I will even tell you my bra size. Wow. Which is? 34 double D. No. Good for you. Good for me. <laughs> for you. Good, good for Tom. Yeah, good for Tom. Exactly. So, you know, I kind of want to start. I, I don't know a lot about your childhood. Like, I know you were born. You were born in Long Island? In Brooklyn. In Brooklyn. Okay. And then you moved to Long Island. Yes, when I was around three. Okay. So, what were your parents like? Um, My mom was very warm, Uh. Good sense of humor, um, gorgeous, mm-hmm. worshipped her. Um, my father didn't didn't really say much, um, and I, I actually didn't really like my father a lot growing up. He was not a warm guy. Um, he was socially um, kind of inept with his children. Um, <laughs> didn't really. Um, didn't really contribute a lot to um, championing any of us when we were kids. We, um, he just, uh, he just wasn't available emotionally. So my mother kind of picked up the slack in that department. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, I was, I got older, actually the last time I saw him before he passed away, um, we had an amazing conversation so he left this world with me having um, kind of making peace with him. Yep. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that um, there was even arguing with him. He just he just wasn't emotionally available. So, you know, like when I was growing up um, and if I had a passion for something, he never really got involved. He didn't really nurture um, that for me. And uh, actually, my mother really didn't either. 
Hmm. You know, um, they both, uh, just were, were kind of checked out in that department. And, and, and I thought, oh, maybe, you know, I'm the youngest and, you know, I'm the youngest of five. So did they do that with everybody else? And it's like, yeah, they pretty much did it with everybody, you know? Um, but when I became a comedian, they loved it. They loved it. They loved it. They were very, very supportive. Um, but, you know, there was an opportunity for me to, to kind of be a child actor. And um, my mother uh, put the kibosh on it because friends of hers told her they were concerned that, um, they, as they put it, she'll end up on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> they thought that it would uh, emotionally uh, not be good for me. Yeah, right. And it, it, would, it would hurt me. And they said, you know, let her, if this is something that is truly in her blood, let her do it when she's older. Right. And um, so, and, and she wasn't, she wasn't a stage mom. You know, we lived in Long Island and you had to go into the city to do auditions and things like that. And she just, it just wasn't in her wheelhouse to do that. So how did the, the chilliness or the, the fact that he was emotionally unavailable, uh, your father, how did that figure into becoming who you are? Um, I'm sure it had a lot to do with <laughs> my choices with men over the years. Hmm. Um, you know, it is, I guess, the proverbial looking for daddy kind of thing. But um, I always chose guys who were unavailable. <laughs> and um, uh, up until Tom, you know, up until like my mid 40s. So Every you didn't recognize the pattern until you got to Tom, your husband. Oh no, I recognized it, <laughs> but I, I went, always went after the charmers, you hmm. know? I mean, every guy that I'd ever been with that I was madly in love with was very charming and, but they were bad boys Yeah, and they were cheaters and druggies and, um, that, that's my past. And, um, it wasn't until after I ended, you know, my very long-term relationship with Ken that I just, I actually said to myself, the next person I'm with has got to treat me like royalty. Hmm. They have to worship me. I have to be so important to them or it's not going to happen. And there was a guy, so personal, there's a guy who... um lived around the corner from me after I split up from Kenny. And um, I, I guess I was walking my dog and I just bumped into him. He was with a couple of other people and we just had a conversation. He was really, really cute. He was much younger than me. And um, I, I, we just struck up a conversation and I gave him my phone number. And one night I'm home and it's late yeah. and he called me. Uh -oh. And said, um, I, I like, I'm stuck somewhere. I need a ride. And I was like, what are you kidding me? You know, I don't even know <laughs> you. You barely know this guy, right? And it was late and, and he just charmed me into picking him up. So I picked him up and I took him home and you know, nothing happened between the two of us. Right. And then he, you know, he called me or, you know, I'd walk my dog and sometimes I walk my dog past his house and, uh, we kind of had, it was like basically like booty call with the guy. And, um, I remember one night I was at his house and I never, like anytime I was with him, he would never walk me home. 
Hmm. I thought, well, that's kind of shitty. And um, it was like two o'clock in the morning and I went to leave and he didn't offer to walk me home. And I just said, the hell with this guy. (laughs) I mean, I just left a relationship where I had issues in this department. So um, I, 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 I swore it off and I said, this this can't happen but you know in my past yeah i probably still would have like hung out with the guy okay so let's go to let's go to ken you were your long-term would you just call it uh partner would how would you oh, he was my it? boyfriend i guess your boyfriend okay him. long-term yeah. boyfriend mm-hmm. ken over uh who was of course the mtv remote control stand up all that stuff when did you meet ken um i moved back from uh, I moved back to New York from LA when I had tried to do stand up very early in my career. I started in New York and I went to LA for, I don't know, three, four years. And it was really hard to get stage time. And I ended up doing a national, they call it the NACA convention, which is comedians audition in front of all these buyers for, uh, to book college gigs. Okay. And it's a really lucrative, cool, cool thing to do. And I did very well. And I ended up getting a lot of work. And I was working for a, um, I was a legal secretary. And I um, ended my job when I had gotten all this road work and I moved back to New York. And um, I had known some people in the clubs from when I first started. And I went down to the Comedy Cellar, which was the happening place at the time. It was a, a newer club. And I'm in the hallway right outside where the entrance to the showroom is. It's where all the comedians hung out before you went on stage. And there were a group of people, group of comics, and Kenny was there. And um, I just like had such a crush on him. Hmm. So he was standing there. He had a little like... um. It was a uh, PBS, like a uh, canvas uh, briefcase. Okay. And I thought he was an agent. Right? <laughs> and um, at some point during the conversation, we made no, no contact. I mean, just eye contact, but we didn't, you know, nobody introduced us or anything like that. And he looked at me at one point and he said, uh, oh, I didn't get your name. And I said, I didn't give it to you. And he was like, oh, you know, wow. <laughs> okay, you got me. And um, that just sparked something. And we started hanging out and a little bit into hanging out. Uh, I think I knew, I did know uh, earlier, he had a girlfriend. He had a live-in girlfriend. While you were seeing him? While I started seeing him, yes. Mm. And um, What's that feel like? Oh, it was horrible. It was horrible because he kept on telling me that she wanted... Um, like she, she knew that the relationship, you know, was over. And I said, you need to tell him that you're seeing somebody else because, um, this is very, very uncomfortable for me and I wouldn't want it done, done to me. And, you know, she was still living with him and, you know, New York is a tough place. You don't have a place to live. You know, it's, it was expensive. And I said, but the longer she stays, she's going to think there's a chance that you're going to work things out. So either you have to move out or you have to tell her to move out, but you can't stay in this. And the night that I just, you know, said to him, you know, you got to tell her we were me and Kenny and a bunch of comics were in an acting class. And after our acting class, Kenny invited us to go back to his apartment and hang out, smoke pot and drink or whatever. 
And I said, well, where's your girlfriend? And he said, oh, she's, um, she was an actress, but she catered. He said, she's on a catering gig. She won't be there. Well, we're all getting high and laughing and having a great time. And it was just me, Kenny, and this guy, Lou, who was Kenny's best friend. Okay. So she comes home. Oh. And I, I'm like, oh, my God, this is horrible. So she probably thought that Lou was my boyfriend. Okay. Right, right, sure. And, uh, but during the course of the night, Kenny kept on, like, looking at me like looking at me like amorously and I'm like looking away. I'm like, what are you doing? Do you want to get caught this? I don't want to be a part of this. Yeah. So um, at the end of the night, and I really liked her and that was the, the shitty part of it. Yeah. She was really cool. And um, I, uh, he, Kenny said to Lou, um, Oh, let, let's, uh, let's walk Sue outside. And I'm like, I'm thinking, well, this seems obvious. Like, what are you walking me out with my alleged boyfriend, you know? And when we got outside, Lou said to him, Kenny, you can't put me in a position like this anymore. Hmm. I'm not going to be the beard here. I mean, this is, this is really not fair. And Lou knew the girlfriend. He had been with her for like eight years. Right. And, um, and I said to him, you cannot do this. And the horrible, horrible way this woman found out that he was with me was that I was up in Boston where Kenny was from and um, I was doing stand-up with him and all the club owners up there thought that Kenny and I lived together. You know, they didn't know that this other woman existed. They thought, Oh, it was Sue and Kenny. So um, some woman that I went to college with saw my name in the paper and wanted to get in touch with me. And the club owner gave her Kenny's home number, oh. thinking that we lived together. And she called and his girlfriend picked up. The oh, jeez! And she said, I'm looking for Sue Kalinsky. Oh. And she said, who's Sue Kalinsky? And she said, Kenny's girlfriend. Oh, that's how she found out. That's how she found out. Oh, God. And what did I do? Continued seeing the bastard <laughs> for 16 years. Wow. Yeah, that was wow. really, uh, and that, uh, that just, it broke my heart so much because, I mean, I guess you can say I cheated too, even though. Um, do you I feel like you cheated? I kind of do. I kind of do. I never, ever cheated on a boyfriend my entire life. Never did. Um, because I never wanted it done to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, this goes back. It's kind of funny. This goes back to when I was in elementary school. Yeah. One of my closest friends, Sidra, who you met at my party. I did. I met Sidra. Yeah. Okay. So Sidra and I, we know each other since elementary school. She lived around the corner from me. I, it was our um, elementary school um, prom. It's like we had like a prom. You had an elementary school prom? Yeah, we had a prom. <laughs> okay. So, um so my boyfriend uh, was this really handsome guy. His name was Eric Kaplan. Um, oddly shout enough. Shout out to Eric. Shout out to Eric. If he's it's so listening. funny because I think of Eric Clapton. He is an, an incredible guitar player. Okay. And his name is Eric Kaplan. So he was really <laughs> handsome. Kind of, again, bad boy. Yeah. And um, so on his way to picking me up, he stopped at Sidra's house, made out with her and felt her up. <laughs> <laughs> and then came and picked me up. And I found out years later. Wow. Wow. Okay. I want to, I want to 
go back again. Let me go back again because I want to get into your comedy career. Mm-hmm. Were you a funny little kid? Always. 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 Always a jokester. Always making people laugh. Class how did that fit into the context of your family? Like how many siblings? And- there are five of us and everybody funny. Everybody. Every, every one of my family was funny. Um, um, Do you think that was a function of trying to please your dad? I don't think consciously it was right. to please my dad. I just think that um, being the youngest, I'm sure, attention, attention seeker. But I, I not only had a funny, my family was funny. My parents' friends were funny. Mm. Um, all my friends were funny. Like there was a guy that lived around the corner from us and they, they his family also had five children and they were from Brooklyn as well. Most of my parents, I'm oh, sorry. Most of my parents' friends were from Brooklyn. Okay. And moved to Long Island. And, and a lot of them moved to Belmore where we grew up. So there was this guy, his name was Laser. His, it's, 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 um. Cool name. Jews are, it's, it's basically, it's Jewish for, for Larry. Okay. okay. So he was laser and he was a big guy. Oh, I always remembered him to have white hair, even as a younger, younger guy. Mm. And, um, he was really funny, total character. And, uh, like whenever you would see him, um, he would always make fun of you. And there were times like you, you'd be in the car with him. You'd be sitting in the back with he and some of his kids and he'd look in the rear view mirror. And if he caught you picking your nose, he would say, what are you looking for? Louie? <laughs> and and they, they were just, they were characters. And, and I grew up with these knuckleheads and, uh, and again, all my parents, friends, they drank, they, you know, they were wild. They, they cursed, um, my father had a standing uh, card game every Friday night and once a month or maybe once every six weeks, it was at my house. Hmm. So when I was a teenager, you know, I'd come home and they'd all be in the, all the guys would be in the kitchen, smoking cigars, drinking loud, again, making fun of you whenever you walked in the room. <laughs> um, and then the women would be in the living room, drinking, knitting. And then, <laughs> and then at one point... It's so silly. I remember like going up to my, walking up to my bedroom and my parents' bedroom was right next door to mine. And my mom's uh, bedroom door would be slightly open and all the women would be in her bedroom trying on her clothes. So <laughs> it'd be like all these like, you know, women in their like forties um, in bras and girdles, you know, just trying <laughs> on her clothes. It was just, I call them the Jewish goodfellas, you know, they were just <laughs> crazy. So I think, you know, that probably was a, was a big influence on my sense of humor. Apparently, my mother's father was very, very funny, but I never met him. My, my mother's parents died before I was born, um, and my father's uh, parents uh, had no sense of humor, and they, I think they lived till I was like seven or eight. But apparently, my grandfather used, was a big trickster. And my mother told a story, one of, uh, and, and like, like me, I grew up and still today have friends that I know since elementary school. Yeah, you really do. You've got a friend. I don't know anybody I went to elementary school with or even barely know people I went to high school with. Yeah. So we're all really, really close. And my mother grew up that way too. I don't know if some of the friends went back to elementary school, but definitely junior high school. So um, that she had this friend, Sylvia, who was a very, very funny, funny woman. And uh, I guess uh, she she didn't go to a party or that my mother went to or something. And uh, 
he he went over to Sylvia and he said, uh, you didn't go to the party because no one likes you. You know, I mean, he would just <laughs> just like make fun. So I, I everybody said that I probably got my sense of humor from my mother's dad. Hmm. So there's a big leap from I'm funny as a kid to I'm going to walk onto a stage and do stand up comedy. Uh, at what point did you say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to do stand up? I um as we've talked about numerous times on the show, I started doing impressions at a very, very young age, was heavily influenced by Vaughn Meter, who uh, did John Kennedy. That was his whole act. That was his life. Um, and he that was his whole act. He he that was it. He was a John Kennedy impersonator. And there was an album that came out called The First Family. Buck Henry was a writer on it. Okay. Um, and uh, it was a huge hit. And it played in my house like all the time. So my my one of my brothers used to do John Kennedy. And then I started doing John Kennedy. So um, it was something that was always in my blood. And then like in in elementary school, um, I was always doing impressions at school, in class, um, talent shows, stuff like that. And then like what were some of the impressions? I, I'm not going to ask you to do them, but what were, give me your, your swath of impressions here. I did John Wayne. I did James Cagney. I did Humphrey Bogart. I did Nixon. I did LBJ. Um, um, and were they like, I think we've had Frank Caliendo on the show. Were they that kind of impressions or were they sort of, like, did they, they didn't sound just like those guys. Right? Oh, yes, they did. They did? Oh, yes, they did. They sounded just like them? Oh, yes, they did. I and thought my, you were like, just play act. But oh, you, no, no, no. I really sounded like them. So your Nixon sounded like Nixon. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then later, you know, I did Carson and, you know, I started to expand a little bit. Um, the only woman I ever did was Audrey Meadows from The Honeymooners. Why do you think you only ever did one woman? I... I I don't know. I mean, I did. I, 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 my shtick was that I did the wives of the husbands, but they sounded just like their husbands because my voice has always been kind of deep. Yeah. And it was, it was the register of my voice. It just, it was accessible to me to do guys more than it was women. But for some reason I did Audrey Meadows. Um, and I can't even tell you why it just, so it when just did you first way. step on stage? I, I was friends with a guy who uh, who was friends with a guy who uh, headed up this uh, a theater company. And he told me about a um, they were doing a variety show somewhere at this theater where it was singers, dancers, jugglers. You know, it was sounded kind of like vaudevillian. Um, and they said anybody who has an act of any kind um, can get on stage. And I did. And it went really well. And then one of my mother's friends who I grew up with, who was my godmother, um, she was living in Brooklyn. And the woman who lived above her was a wardrobe mistress for films. And through her, I actually got to meet Faye Dunaway when I was a teenager. Oh, she wow. Worked on, she worked on the movie Network. Now, oh, she worked on Network? That's like yes. what my, one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, What's she doing on Network? She was a wardrobe mistress. Oh. 
So she asked me if I wanted to come to the set. They were filming at some, you know, office building in Manhattan. And she said, I guess, you know, where, where the network yeah. offices were. And she asked me if I wanted to come up and, and be there for some of the filming. And Faye Dunaway happened to walk by and she introduced me to Faye Dunaway. Um, and I was a teenager. I mean, it was like so cool. I must have been, I don't know, 17 or something like that. So Faye Dunaway was, is famously a, a difficult diva. What was she like when you were around her there? Beautiful, charming. She couldn't oh, have been nice. more charming. Yeah, it was. Um, nice. It was very. You know, she wasn't as wacko as she as she is now. Um, <laughs> anyway, so um, so she told. So the wardrobe mistress told me that there was this a comedy club in New York called the Improvisation. I didn't even know comedy clubs existed, and uh, I did a little research and. Uh, Went, I went down and what and, year was uh, this? This was 70. This was like 79, maybe 79. Okay, something like that. 78. Network came out in 76. 76. Okay, so, um, yeah, so I think it was around 78, 79, and um, found out that um, they did auditions on Sunday evening, but you had to get there in the early day, and a lot of people got there in the morning. Um, these were the days where you know. You waited online to go to see a movie first run, you know? I mean, that was, right. my, my, that was my upbringing. Right. And concert tickets and things like that. So um, you had to wait and, uh, and get a number. And uh, the hope was that you got uh, an early number. So there were, there were numbers in a hat. And you. This was the at the Improv at the in Improv, New York. In, at the Improv in New York. And I picked a low number. And uh, I got on early in the evening and um, did my impressions. I wrote an act. Yeah. And uh, I passed. And uh, passed meaning? Meaning that it gave me the ability to um, come to, down to the club and hang out and maybe get chosen to go on stage. But okay. But never during prime time. Right. It was a real separation of classes. It was you were a regular and then you were late night. So and, late night, and you were a late night. I became a late night, but I never, I never, I, I went back one other time and, um, and I wrote a completely different act because I thought that you were supposed to do something different every time you went on stage. Ooh. And, um, I, nobody told me anything. I didn't know anything. And, uh, and my, the second time I went on stage wasn't as good as the first time I was on stage. And then I decided to just put it to rest for a little while and wait till I was a little bit older. How old were you then? I was, I guess I was like 18 or something 18. like that. Yeah. It was wow. Young. Were there a lot of women doing stand up then? No, none. No. Very um, few. Very few. Who was very doing stand up? What women were doing stand up mid to late seventies? There was a woman named Adrian Tolsh who's uh, Bill Sheft. Oh yeah. I know Bill. I Bill's met wife. Bill. She, okay. she became Bill's wife. Yeah. Um, she was like one of the hottest women doing stand up at that time. Um, Nancy Parker, who was an impressionist, um, who did a killer Betty Davis. I mean, mm. and did Betty Davis from when Betty Davis was young and how her voice changed and then changed when she got older. Mm. Brilliant, brilliant impressionist. Um, there was a woman named Abby Stein who was around, who sadly passed away some years ago. Um, so she was one of my close friends. Um, 
I'm trying to think who else. So there were a lot of men there and just a few women. Just a few women. So yeah. who were the who were the men in this era that because I, I was always when we lived in New York, I was always like the cool the cool kids, the comics hung out in the back of the club and BS and all that stuff. Who were the guys that were hanging around in that era that you got to know? Well, when I first went to the improv, there was a guy named Jim Brogan who was emceeing and he became a, um, a writer for um, for Jay Leno and he his style of stand up gave you the illusion that everything was just off the top of his head. But that's how brilliant he was. And mm-hmm. he emceed a lot. So he was the MC the night that I went on. So he was around, um, you know, Leno was around. Wow. Um, Bill Maher, uh, a young Bill Maher with a wow. beard and long hair. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. Um, Jerry kind of came, Seinfeld came a little bit later. Um, Riser came a little bit later. I'm trying to think what other acts were there. Um, because Boozler had all, Elaine Boozler had already moved to LA. Um, Keenan Ivory Waynes had moved to LA, but he was a, he was an act there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I'm trying to think who else you may know. Um, um, Steve Bluestone, was it, uh, Steve Bluestone? Was that hmm. his name? Anyway, there, there were a bunch of people that right. you probably wouldn't even know back then you know so you're working the improv oh you walked away uh, 18 years old you kind of walked away i left and then um another broken-hearted relationship um unavailable uh, man with a girlfriend who apparently he got pregnant um we were waiters together at um i don't know if i ever told you the story he was a, I, I met him we were we were working in a restaurant together and um I, again, charmer, funny, just madly in love with this guy. No idea. He had a girlfriend. Oh. Um, he, uh, he was an alcoholic, but I didn't know he was an alcoholic. I mean, he hit it very well. And when I worked with him, he used to have uh, like a, a conventional like, uh, like diner coffee mug, like one of those beige coffee mugs. And he would always have like a, a tea string hanging out of the mug. Well, little did I know he had bourbon in the mug because it looked like tea and he would have the string hanging out and he'd walk around the whole time we were working drinking bourbon. Everybody thought he was drinking tea. So, you know, alcoholic charmer, very crafty guy. Clearly. So um, he broke my heart. It was 1980. I um I'm telling you all these like horrible stories, but it's just unbelievable. I I had a uh, like had a party at my in my apartment, and he was you know supposed to come. Yeah. And he never he doesn't show up, and then finally he shows up like late, and tells me about this girlfriend, and he you know he's got to leave and he's got to go back to her, and he's telling me he got her pregnant, and that she is you know knows who I am now, and crazy I'm performing at the comic strip and I'm a, you know, a late night comic and uh, there's like four people in the audience and she's one of them. She Mm. found out that I was going to be performing there and she confronted me after I got off stage, but it wasn't like mean confrontation. It was kind of like, how do we get him back confrontation? What do you mean? How do we get him back? How do we get him back? Because he wronged both of us. 
How do we get him back? So it was, uh, yeah, yeah. So like, this like a movie. So did you go in on this thing? Yes, I did. (laughs) Oh, wow. And she called him up and she said, I'm going to be at this diner. Come meet me. And when he showed up, I was with her. Oh, wow. It was brilliant. Wow. And he was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. And he apologized to both of us. And, um, and then he stayed with her. And then every now and then she would call me, like if he didn't come home and, and I'd say, I do not see him anymore. <laughs> you never have to worry about me. He's out of my life. It's over. And then I moved. I moved to California. That's when I moved to LA and tried yeah. to make, make a go of it out there. Now, did you want to be an, uh, so many comics wound up getting sitcoms or wound up getting shows or have, you know, gone on to act. I'm thinking Richard Bells or guys like that uh, acting on law and order. Did you ever want to be an actor? Always wanted to be an actress ever since I was a little girl, always wanted to be an actress. The stand up just was, uh, just seems to, to be, an end. Well, I don't think it was a means to an end because when I became a comic, I really wanted to be a comic. And if I got acting work, that was bonus. But, it's, it seems a lot different these days, like w- well into my career, I remember they do these things, it's called showcase night that they do at comedy clubs where agents and casting people come in specifically to cast stuff. Sure. And the people who book the club will put up people who they think they would want to see, okay. like people that should be seen. Right. And I was on a lot of those showcases. And later in my career, there were a lot of people that ended up on these showcases who weren't comedians. They were actors who weren't in a play and couldn't be seen except as a comedian. So they would go on stage because they were pretty or personable. Yeah. Uh, had good energy, <laughs> but they, they didn't energy. have it. But, but I tell you what they didn't have. They didn't have an act. <laughs> and, um, and as a comedian, you know, a lot of comedians were like pissed off. It's like you're taking away stage time from people who really do this for a living and are comedians who should be seen. So, you know, it, it, it kind of the, the, the whole the whole world of of auditioning became a, a, a different animal later on. Um, but all of my friends who started as stand ups, we wanted to be stand ups. That was a prideful thing, like to to tell someone you were a stand up comedian. And not, I'm not saying that it doesn't mean anything now, but back then it was rare yeah right i went to a party with that wasn't like a showbiz party i was the only stand-up at the party right now you go to a party the guy delivering the food's a comedian (laughs) the bartender's a comedian you're the aunt of the person whose party it is is a comedian the dog tells jokes i mean everybody (laughs) is a comedian yeah yeah and it never was like that so i want to so we've told the story about how we got together in new york multiple times um and so i I don't want to necessarily rehash that you and i wind up uh at wnew in new york city uh back around 1999 and it's well established that i was difficult did you ever think about quitting i 
did. Hmm. I did. And I don't, did, I don't know if I said this to you in my interview with you, but I remember calling up Kenny and threatening to out you on the radio. No. I never would have. I never would really, have. But that was in your head. But that's how mad I was at you. Wow. But I never, I ne- obviously, I didn't do it. And I never would have done it. But I told Kenny, that's how mad I am. And he just said to me, you know, you just, just bite the bullet and just do the show. And um, hopefully it'll work itself out. And, and it did. It did. It did. And it we, did. We and we became, and, and we got very close. Yeah. And, you know, like we talked about it, I guess it, 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 it hurt me more than anything that we were not getting along and we weren't on the same page. And, and, and I, you know, and then when I did find out what it was and the reason was, I became a lot more sympathetic about it, but I was mad at you Mm -hmm. and I was hurt. And, and I guess it, it started to make me feel I, you know, you were the radio guy. Right. You know, you were the guy who had all the experience. I was a stand-up who was doing radio and I didn't have as much confidence as you had. And, you know, there were times where you had a way of um, getting under my skin. And Can you uh, remember one instance that pissed you off the most? Oh, yeah. What was the one? It was when, um, when your sister <laughs> and her family came to visit. Well, I have. I actually have two. My I my brother two. and and his family came to visit. And his family came to visit. You, you were visit. kind enough to allow them to stay. Well, this place. was okay. So this it was, was the like deal. Thanksgiving. It was Thanksgiving, but this was the deal. Let's let's do a little backstory. Okay. My brother came into the city with his wife, and you were gracious to let. And you were back in L.A. You were going to L.A. and you graciously allowed my brother to stay at your apartment. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Um, and even if you didn't do that, I, I absolutely would have allowed your family to stay there. I wasn't there. Sure. So when your your niece, I think it was your niece. My niece, nephew, Mia, threw up on your rug. Threw, threw up on my rug. And I came home very, very late from my, um, from my Thanksgiving trip. And I didn't get home till like maybe midnight and had to get up really early in the morning for our show the next day. Right. And um, so I didn't even notice it. You know, I didn't notice like the, an odor or anything like that. Yes. I just went right to bed. Yep. And when I came in that morning and, and actually there were beautiful flowers on, on the table for me um, and a very nice note from your family. And you mm-hmm. asked me, you know, you know, how's everything? And, you know, did my family do the right thing? And I said, absolutely. I mean, it was like beyond the call of duty flowers, nice note. It was great. Well, I went home that night and was lying on my rug with my dog, playing with my dog. And I was like, ooh, what is that? And it smelled like vomit. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> and then I looked in underneath my kitchen cabinet to get something to clean it up. And your family had bought like every disinfectant on the planet to clean it up. Yes. And I guess I was upset with you because you knew it happened because they told you what happened and you didn't say, you didn't say anything to me about right, it. Right. Right. You had the knowledge. And I guess because I didn't say anything. See, to but you, I also had the knowledge that they bought every cleaning thing in the world to try to right, fix it. Right. And but I thing, didn't, and I assumed it was fixed. Right. And because I didn't say anything to you, 
you know, the first time because yeah. I, I went to sleep so late and didn't smell it. When you asked me, was everything okay? I said, yeah, everything's everything great. Everything was, yeah. But you probably thought, well, why should I bring it up? Everything's okay. Yeah. So when I brought it, so then I brought it up <laughs> on the air yeah. the following day and you got really mad at me. And you were like, you're unappreciative. And you brought was up. Was this on there? Yes. Oh. And it was like, I, I, you know, I let your brother and sister, sister-in-law stay there. And I said, yeah, but they didn't throw up in your apartment. And, you know, and then you just attacked me. <laughs> and you, you, I mean, you were saying things that were so, you were telling me that. And then off the air, we went into another room to have yeah. it out. Yeah. And you were like, no one likes you here. Um, did I, I really? Wow. Yeah, you really did. You uh-huh. said no one likes you here. And you were like basically telling me that I wasn't doing a good job on the show. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, I, I was insecure anyway. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, how am I ever going to continue doing this? And um, I remember Schleppo, our producer. Yeah. When we were fighting on the air, which I'm sure was great radio to a lot of and, people listening. Uh, and, you know, in my head, fighting <laughs> on the air is great radio. To this day, we yes. air things out on the air. Yes. And um, he like, like went and put, you know, this, we were still playing music at the time and he like put, you know, a song on. And, Dark Side and, of the Moon. <laughs> <laughs> and we had comedian, I guess we had a comedian on that day. Yeah. So I think they may, maybe they were listening to the show before <laughs> they, before they, they were in the way, they were out in the lobby, you know, out in the waiting room yeah. and, uh, and they came in and, and they looked at me like, Oh God, the air in here is very thick. <laughs> And they like were so uncomfortable because you and I, we we didn't try to fake it. We yeah. still were like we're pissed at off, it, yeah, pissed off, and and you were just ornery, and I was like pissed off. <laughs> anyway, um, and then so that know, was the time you were most pissed off. That was the time I was most, off, but I was I was pissed off at you another time when your dog, you were going to New York. Yes. You were going back to L.A. L.A. Right. And um, I had uh, a new dog that okay. um, was uh, house trained. Okay. And it took a little while to get her, you know, and she had separation anxiety. She had a lot, a lot of shit going on with her. And you asked me if I can keep your dog. While yes. you were away. And I said, okay, you have to bring your dog over. Let me see how the two of them get along. And if they get along, great. Um, uh, fine. Right. So you never brought the dog over. Okay. And then you dropped. I, I happen to be home. You dropped the dog off at my apartment on your way to the airport. By the way, or- let's give the dog. This is Hollis. My it dog Hollis. Hollis. Yeah. yeah. And, nice and, oh yeah, and nice and boy. oh he I, I love I loved Hollis, but Hollis shit in the house. Well, he was he, Matt. He was Matt trained. He yeah he was, but I didn't know that. Yeah. So he comes to my apartment, and here I am trying to get my dog, you know, on the straight and narrow with yeah. with dog with uh, house training, and um, Hollis was not happy in my apartment. Hmm. He cried. Aww. He barked, Aww. and I felt terrible. But it was like I was on thin ice in my apartment because when I rescued my dog, because she had separation anxiety that I didn't know. And I begged my landlord because he he dogs were allowed in the apartment, but it was kind of you if you were grandfathered in. So being a new tenant, I had to beg him to let me have my dog. And he caved 
And then my dog, the first night I had my dog, I went to work the next morning. Yeah. My dog barked and cried the entire oh. time I was on the air. And all my neighbors complained about me. And yep. I had just moved in. So I said, I kept on calling you while you were in LA and you never returned my calls. And I'm like, Steve, call me back. I can't keep this dog here. It's really like out of control. And there's shit everywhere in my apartment. There's pee everywhere. My dog is starting to regress. This is not cool. Right. And, and, and uh, I brought your dog. I, I actually went to your building. And, um, and I dropped said, him off in an empty apartment. And the, the doorman said that they would come in and, and check on him. And you never, ever returned my call. Because I was ever. only gone for two days. As two I days. Yeah, I flew home for the weekend. I know, but flew you never returned, but you never returned my call. So busy. So busy. <laughs> you sound like, uh, what's her name? Oh, so busy. So, so busy. busy. You're so it's basic. So, it's so basic. You're so basic. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so those right. are the so two times. Those, those are the two, two times, times I was mad. Did we air that one out on the air? Oh, I'm sure we did. I'm sure we did. I'm sure we did. See, I'm of the school that everything belongs on the air. The conflict can sometimes oh, yeah. be really good radio. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I'm sure it was. Oh, I, you know, people talked about it. <laughs> people talked about hear, it. Do you hear and, them fighting in the morning? Well, I remember, um, what was the guy's name who, uh, who played music before us? Um, Scott Muni? No, no, no. He, he, Dave he Herman? A, no, he, he, he was on the air when we were on the air. He had uh, glasses and a beard. Um, oh, God, I'm forgetting his name. He was a really, really cool guy. Is who he the one music. that did the weekend show with the funky music? Um, I, um, his name will come to me, or maybe it won't, but whatever. Yeah. So he filled in a few times when you weren't uh when you were away or yeah, whatever right and um he filled in right after the fight <laughs> oh did there he were it? oh well there are comedians that came on you know was like oh my god that was crazy <laughs> you know <laughs> and you know we, we we laughed about it but yeah uh, so the whole time you're in new york working with me mm-hmm. you're still maintaining this relationship with ken ober who is your longtime boyfriend yes all I know is that you get back to LA and all of a sudden we'd wrapped up the show. All of a sudden it was, it was over between you and Ken. How did that go down? Um, all right. Well, if the writing wasn't on the wall when I was in New York, then <laughs> I am the biggest moron in the world. So we were in New York for a year and a half. Yes. He came to visit me once. Mm. Okay. Um, and he came to visit me that one time because I think he went to a, like a memorial for a friend who had passed okay. away and, oh, Sue's here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I still, you know, didn't, you know, I, I was shocked actually. So I come home and I got, we got, I got home in April, got home to LA in April. And in July, you know, I started to kind of notice that he was a little distant. You know, I, you know, because I adopted a dog when I was in New York. Mm -hmm. He wasn't happy with the fact that I came home with another dog. He was actually not nice to Sam 
Um, but Sam and my other dog, Monty, got along famously. Um, so it was like, all right, what the fuck? Really? Like, you're pissed off that I got another dog? I, I was alone. <laughs> I needed something to be with that was alive. And you sure weren't there. So um, I had kind of heard some stuff about Ken. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Oh, no, I, I had heard about that after. So we were invited to a, uh, a, a friend's wedding on July 3rd, which was Kenny's birthday. Okay. And it was in Santa Monica. So, you know, we, you could, we walked actually to where the wedding was okay. from our, our house. And when we got to the wedding, um, a little bit into the wedding, there was a slow music was playing. And I said, let's dance. And he said, eh, I really don't want to. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know. That really hurt. I was like, oh, all right. And um, and I got very, very sad at the wedding because I thought my boyfriend doesn't want to dance with me. And we always dance. He's a great dancer. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, okay, what's up? So then on the walk home, um, I brought up the fact that he didn't want to dance with me. And and he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't forthcoming, but I knew something was up. The next morning was um, Independence Day, ironically. Mm-hmm. And oh. we went to uh, take our dogs for a walk down to the beach. We lived very close to the beach in Santa Monica. And on the way there, I said, what's up? What's going on? You don't, you don't, you, there's something off and you don't seem happy. And he said, I'm not. And I said, what are you not happy with? Are you not happy with me? And he said, yes. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh. You know, we had broken up and gone back so many times that the last time we had gotten back together, I actually looked, and, and it was a happy time that back then when we got back together. I looked at him and I said, no more breakups. Either you're in or you're out. Yeah. You can't be in between here anymore. I'm getting older, you know, I want to have a kid, you know, if you're not on the same page as me, just tell me right now and we'll, we're done. And he was like, no, no, no. I love you. I love you. I love you. And I try to have a kid. Um, I couldn't get pregnant. I, I took shots. I got inseminated. I mean, I desperately tried to have children with him hmm. blessing in disguise that it didn't happen. But, um, so when he told that to me, it was like, no, <laughs> you know, you promised, you know, we're together, you know, we're, we're always going to be together. And, um, and on Independence Day, we broke up. And was it, he was, was he seeing somebody or was that? Yes. He was. Okay. But I didn't know. Right. And then a friend of mine, um, <laughs> this is crazy. Kenny cheated on me throughout our relationship and he had cheated on me with a, a comedian. I'm not going to tell you who it was. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you off the air. Okay. <laughs> and, um, and then he ended up cheating on me with someone else who was comedian. And there was a guy who was well, this is a small world. He had to think it was going to get back to you. Oh yeah, sure. So there was a guy who was comedian who I was, you know, good friends with who Kenny knew too. So it turned out that two of the women that he had cheated on me with 
were also this guy's girlfriends. And I remember joking with Kenny and I said, all I have to do is find out who he's dating and then I'll know who you're going to be fucking next. Right. Right. So, um, yeah. So I found out that he had, that he was with somebody else and, um, and that this person was in my house. This person was in my bed. I knew her. Um, and, uh, well, isn't it weird? And I wonder how it makes you feel that you got done to you what you had done. At least you you talked about on this show at least at least twice. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Oh, believe me. (laughs) That came into my mind. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, so I found out and, uh, oh, you know, I deny, 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 deny. He's like Lenny Bruce, you know, deny, (laughs) deny, deny, deny. And, um, yeah. And the thing is, too, it's like, you know, I was trying to get pregnant. Right. So when I found I found condoms on the, you know, the drawer next to his bed, I'm like, what are they doing here? Well, I'm trying to get pregnant. You can't you know, you're full of shit. You know, you never use condoms with me. You know, I never used condoms within my entire relationship. So anyway, finally came out and uh, and, and and, you know, we we you know, we and then we became friends. Yeah, but but we did have and I don't know if I ever shared this story, but we did have a it was kind of a funny thing that happened. We um, I had a, a long standing um, kind of joke with my friend Henriette Mantel, who's a fellow comedian. I know Henriette. Yeah, you know, Henriette. OK, so um, my, I, I put my friends through the ringer um, over the years with my obsession with Ken Ober and um, and they were so sad for me because he he hurt me a lot and Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna say that i didn't that he was never a great guy because that we we did have a lot of fun together and we did a lot of great things together and when he was when he was good he no one was better so it really was the best of times the worst of times with him yeah and um and and we did end up becoming friends and 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 you know we when he died we were friends so, um, so we had this long-standing joke. My girlfriend said, "I don't know what I'm going to have to do. Do we have to chain you to the banister in my house? <laughs> you cannot go back with Ken Ober ever again. You cannot." And I said, "I'm never going back with him. I, I'm, I'm not. You know." So, um, I guess like six months later, or I don't know, could have even been a year later. I don't know. I slept with him, right? <laughs> oh, I made a bet with her. I bet her $300. That was it. I bet her $300. I would never go back with him. So then I slept with him. And that was it. We, ne- we never dated again. We okay. you know, it was like that one night stand, basically. And I told her, I, you know, I didn't want to lie to her. I told her. So I cut her a check for $150 <laughs> just for sleeping. <laughs> Since you didn't really go back to him. No. So I figured you- I gave her, gave her half. But you did sleep. So I gave her half. So uh, let me see. What do I want to ask you? I want to ask you. So Ken Ober passed away at a very young age. 52. 52. What was that feeling like for you, given your history with him? It was really hard. Um, It was hard on many levels because I was in a new relationship with Tom. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think. Tom and I... We were, Tom and I were married. 
Yeah. You know, he, he died and Tom and I got married in 2004. Kenny died in 2009. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, Tom had some concerns, you know, when we first started dating because he knew my history mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, but I, I hadn't been with Kenny in two years by the time Tom came along and, and there was no way in the world, you know, cause I grew up with Tom and Tom and I, you know, we, we've been friends since we were, you know, 13, 14 years old. So, um, I, ha- I had a lot of respect for Tom and, um, he was very special to me. And, uh, the fact that we kind of connected later in life was like the greatest gift in the world because I loved him my whole life. I mean, I just loved him as a person, never, ever thought I would ever be with him. Right. Um, and, um, and I told him, um, I would never have entered a relationship with you if I still had unfinished business romantically with Kenny. Yeah. So, um, but it was hard for him because I was friends with Kenny and I guess that's hard for some people. And it is, you know, it's like, well, why do you still want to have anything to do with this person? And given the fact that, you know, he caused me so much heartache, I said, you have to be worried about me if I'm still holding on to stuff. That's when you have to be worried. You should feel confident that I'm not pining for him anymore. he's, he's, He's just my friend. Yeah. I, I don't hold anything, you know, romantic for him. It's anymore. hard. I mean, I've been in this spot. Yeah. A lot of people have been in this spot. And it's yeah. hard when a friendship is maintained with an ex from right. a new boyfriend, girlfriend. Yeah. So it, it was hard for him. And, you know. Um, did he go to the memorial with you? He did. He did. He did. And and actually, you know, he he talked with Kenny and, you know, he, 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 he. I wouldn't say he was friends with Ken, but then he, he accepted it, you know, he accepted it. But when Kenny died, you know, everybody who knew my relationship with Kenny, you know, and actually Jimmy Miller, who's Dennis Miller's brother, mm-hmm. Jimmy's, you know, a good friend of mine. Jimmy called me and said, he says, I kind of feel like I'm like you're a widow. And it's weird because you're married. <laughs> he said, but that's my call to you. That's what it feels like. So I think a lot of people um, were very sad for me just because of my long relationship with him. And a lot of people um, didn't know Tom, really. Yeah. And um, anyway, so it, it was really hard because I was so connected to him and I was always very close with his parents because I lost my parents when I was younger, you know, in, right. in, like, like he never met my father. My father died before we started dating and my mother, you know, met him once or twice and his parents were like my parents. So um, I was very close and still very close with his brother mm-hmm. and his brother's wife. And so it was like, I had this kind of other family in a way, you know? So it was, it was really, really hard. I was very, very sad when he died. So I think we've talked in the past about the fact that you knew Tom, your husband, as a kid, Mm -hmm. never thought of him in a romantic way, but then you met years later and clicked. Tell me that story. We had pretty much been in touch most of our adult life. Oh, okay. Given like 
some years, like the college years, I had no idea where he was or what he was doing. But because we have mutual friends, I always kind of knew where Tom was at, you know, what he was doing. He moved out here, I think, a year before I moved out here. And um, we had a mutual friend that Tom knew even before me. And um, so, you know, I would see Tom, you know, every now and then. And, and then he'd call me and say, you know, you want to go out to lunch and, you know, things like that. And, you know, I was with Kenny, you know, that whole time. Yeah. And, um, and then we, I guess it was maybe, yeah, it was probably a couple of years after I broke up with Kenny, um, his mutual friend, our mutual friend, had gotten tickets to a concert at um, Universal. It was the Down from the Mountain tour. Okay. And um, unbeknownst to me, he had wanted me to go out with Tom. Even when I was with Kenny, he was like, wanted me to be with Tom. He never expressed that to me, but secretly. Yeah. And I think he had talked to Tom about it, but Tom never wanted to get near it. He was like, she's with somebody. I'm not getting near that. And even after a year of not being with Kenny, he still didn't want to get near it. So, um, so he, he bought tickets. My friend bought tickets for Tom. He bought two tickets for Tom and two tickets for me thinking maybe me and Tom would maybe cultivate something, you know, at the concert. And I actually invited Kenny to go with me because we were friends, Oh, sure. but Kenny couldn't go. So I took Kathy Ladman and um, Tom shows up. And I didn't know he was going to be there. I, you know, I just thought I was going to meet my friend Don. Yeah, and his wife. And um, so Tom ended up sitting next to me, and he brought a date. Very pretty woman. I had no idea, and wasn't even thinking is that his girlfriend. But I, you know, as a woman, I'm like, oh, maybe Tom has a girlfriend. You know, whatever. Yeah. But but I didn't think of it as like, oh, Tom has a girlfriend. So um, during the course of the night. Kathy Ladman like elbows me and like, you know, puts her head to the side, like, you know, motioning towards Tom, like, oh God, he's so cute. (laughs) And I said, he is really cute. Yeah, totally. And he's funny and just a, you know, charming guy. Yeah. And, um, and very, very funny. So I remember at one point during the night, you know, people got up, they're holding hands, you know, and, you know, swaying to the music and he goes to grab my hand and I kind of, put my hand back and I said, nah, I don't really do that holding hand kind of thing at concerts. I don't do the wave, you know, I, I, you know, I, I just really don't feel like being part of this, you know, and he just was like, Oh, oh okay. You know? So then when the concert was over, I didn't get the, I didn't get the vibe that it was his girlfriend. He just didn't have like, I didn't put his arm around her. I mean, I don't know. I never saw him kiss her, but I don't know. Maybe, you know, I didn't know who she was. So after the concert, he said to me, hey, we should go out to lunch. And um, I said, yeah, yeah, definitely. I said, why don't you give me a call? And, uh, you know, he never called. But I didn't, I wasn't like waiting at the, for the, at the phone or anything so like that. So you weren't pining away. No, and I didn't even like, I didn't even think about it. You know, it was casual. It was like, yeah, let's go out to lunch. Yeah, call me. We'll go out to lunch, you know. And, um, and then like. I guess a couple of weeks after the concert, I had been at my our mutual friend's house and um, I had this beautiful bracelet that a friend of mine bought me and it was very expensive. 
And when I got home, I realized that it fell off my wrist. So I, I called my friend and I said, did you find my bracelet? And he said, I haven't, but I'll look for it. He said, oh, there's someone here who wants to talk to you. And it was Tom. Hmm. And I said, hi, Tom, you know, how you doing? And he said, I thought you were going to call me. And I said, oh, I don't know. I, th- I thought you were going to call me. I said, I don't even have your number. And he, and I said, I thought you were going to call me. And he says, well, I didn't have your number. And I said, well, you have it now, you know? Right. So we, um, we went out to dinner like soon after that. And, um, and that night I, I just looked at him and I thought to myself, oh my God. I mean, like if he asked me to marry him right now, I think I'd marry him. Really? Yeah. Um, you know, I guess I knew him and, um, he was one of, you know, I always went out with bad guys and he was one of the good guys. Yeah. He's a nice guy. And, uh, you know, he wasn't a druggie, you know, he, he was, he was, he was sensitive towards women. He was, you know, he was respectful. He was a gentleman, you know? And, um, I just completely fell in love with him on our first and I didn't even know if it was a date. I just thought we were going out to dinner as friends because we had always been friends. And um, and then we went out, uh, you know, another time. And uh, the first time we went to Santa, he came to Santa Monica where I live. Second time, um, he I, I went to Long Beach and um, he had just bought this house and it was a piece of shit. And he was doing all this work in it. And I'm like walking around I'm like oh my god I'm like, like he he actually like can break down walls and like put up cabinets and, this and, is the and, house you're in now no this was the first house we lived in it was a really sweet California bungalow and he showed me before and after pictures of, of all the work they did. it was like sheathing up I'm like you did this you do this and he said uh yeah well, yeah yeah he put floors in I'm wow, like wow. oh my god so I was like oh man anyway so 6 months later i was living with him wow wow so you mentioned that you tried to have kids i remember you talking about it mm-hmm. um and thinking about even even back when we worked together in new york uh how do you look at that now, the fact that you were not able to have a child. I'm totally at peace with it. Um, it was, it was upsetting to me when I was trying and, uh, but I made peace with it. You know, I just was not able to get pregnant. It was me. It was not Kenny. It was me that I just wasn't able to conceive. And what what upset me the most is, and this is extremely personal, is that I had a couple abortions when I was younger. Mm. And uh, I think that that contributed to scar tissue. And I think that contributed to me not being able to conceive. Mm. And, you know, look, I came from a family of five kids, you know, and, and my mother, you know, she had two abortions and had five kids. Mm. She had two abortions, um, one before and after me wow and um and crazy you know crazy she 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 tried to she actually thought of having an abortion with my sister who came before me she was talked out of it or she was too late and then she thought of having an abortion with me 
Oh, wow. And, and again, either too late or, 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 or was talked out of it. I'm not sure which way it was. And then after me, she got pregnant again and had wow. an abortion. But anyway, um, so to come from a big family and, um, and just loved coming from a big family, having, you know, so many brothers and, and, and a sister um, was so much fun growing up. And then I always thought I was going to have kids. But, you know, no one in my family has children except my sister. Hmm. None of my brothers. Wow. You know, any kids that are in their lives were, are from their wives. Interesting. All of them. Yeah. All of them were with women that had kids. And, uh, except, oh, actually, except for one. My, my brother Rick's wife never had kids. But anyway, so I, it was really, really sad for a period of time. And then, um, and then by the time, you know, I was with Tom, I was in my mid forties. Could I have maybe tried again? You know, he, he, if, if I really wanted to, you know, I'm sure he would have, you know, you know, been on board with it. But, um, and I think what really saved that desire is that I have two nieces, right? That, that you know, my sister's girls and um, women now they're in their forties, yeah. um, who were like my kids. You know, I mean, that's where I kind of my mothering instinct. I just transferred onto my nieces, so they're like my kids. So I want to do one more thing here. Um, mm-hmm. You began a career in reality TV mm-hmm. before there really was the reality TV that we see now. You worked on the Osborne show. Describe what you did on the Osborne show. Um, most of my, I would say practically all of my reality career uh, has been in post-production. Mm-hmm. Meaning that I uh, sit with editors and put the shows together based on the footage that we have, and um, and then work very closely with the story editors, who, you know, back then um, they were doing it in script form. They would watch the footage and then put it together, kind of like in. It wasn't even in, it wasn't in script form because there wasn't. We weren't. They would writing. carve out a storyline. Carve out wasn't even a storyline. They were written. It was written like a story, huh. and then it would be like you know, you know, on a you know sunny day in Southern California, and then there'd be like time code, you know, put some B roll here that represents that. Yeah, yeah. you know, and B roll for people who don't know, it's anything that's not live action. You know, it's just you know an establishing shot of something or, you know, different shots of the city, you know, to establish where you are or or where you're going. And then, um, and then there would be like, you know, Ozzy, you know, gets into an argument with one of the dogs and then there would be (laughs) in in, in parentheses B-roll of that footage. So it was all the footage to support the story that we were telling. And then years later, story editors became, like editors yeah. and you would have uh, editing equipment at your desk and you would um, have all of the footage in what we call the avid. Yeah. And, um, and then you would uh, 
find the, find the footage. You get, you get like, um, field notes from the people who are, who are out in the field. And, and you would get a, you get a report every day of what happened. And they would always highlight the, the fun stuff that right. could be story. And then you would read those notes in conjunction with watching the footage. And that's how you put these shows together. So the Osbournes, that was a landmark show in the respect that it was one of the first real reality shows. And it, it was a real story. There wasn't stuff that was trumped up in that particular show. What do you think of modern reality TV? Like, like right now, the number one show on, on Netflix is Selling Sunset. Uh, what do you think of, of those kinds of modern shows, Real Housewives, all that stuff? Um, I, you know, I, I've never watched Selling Sunset, um, but, you know, like the Housewives shows, uh, you know, it, there is a falsity to me because the nature of putting these shows together has, tra- has changed dramatically. You know, we had a family that was a real family that, and there was so much story there and we just took what was given to us. Um, nothing was scripted. Uh, we never told anybody what to say. Um, I always say we were a slave to the footage, but we shot a lot of footage mm-hmm. and they gave us the money to do so. And now um, you have less time to put a show together and you have to put a show together, even if they're giving you two days to do it or three days to do it. And um, we didn't have those restrictions on us. And uh, so because of that, you have to somewhat script the show because you have to guarantee that you're going to have an episode. Yeah, Yeah. You can't trust that. You're just going to look at the footage and make something. Doesn't fly like that. Yeah. And and also, what started to happen was that real people weren't that interesting. Hmm. And so you had to create that interest by manufacturing stories that didn't exist, or you know, like you know, I've worked on shows where. The people didn't even really know one another. Right. The network expected them to have a backstory because that's what they were selling. So they had to pretend to know each other. They did. Pretend to have a relationship. Yeah. And then they would, you know, because especially when Housewives came along and it was the the table flipping, as they say, the table flipping moments. Yeah. Um, Everybody wanted table flipping moments where people, you know, were mean to one another and they would fight with one another. And, you know, sometimes some of these people would say, I don't really know this person well enough to fight with them. I don't have that gripe. It's not, it's not real. Yeah. But those people wind up not being in the next season. Or they, they play the game. And they make shit up or they, you know, I, look, I've worked on many shows where they, you know, they wanted people to cry like an interview and they wouldn't cry. They'd, you know, feed them wine to get them a little high. So they would, you know, be vulnerable and then they would cry an interview. I worked on a show and this is, this is how ridiculous it gets. Okay. I worked on a, it was somewhat of a 
competition show, I guess. Um, and this was before the Osbournes. It was called um, Who Wants to Date a Prince? <laughs> and they had gotten this prince that nobody heard of. He was a prince. It was like bring, being a prince of like Pacoima. Yeah. You know what I it mean? was like some title from some yeah. title in some place in Europe somewhere. I don't even know what country the guy was supposed to be from. And he was, he wasn't a little person, but he was, as a, a, someone said to he me was recently, they said, someone said to me the other day, someone called a guy who was short. He was half a man. Okay. Oh, so he was, he was half man. That's okay? harsh. That's it's harsh. harsh. It's yeah. harsh. So he was, he was, yes, he was diminutive. So um, there were probably 15, 20 women vying to date this guy. <laughs> with the chance of maybe being a princess, I guess, sometime in their life. <laughs> so the guy was hidden in like, it looked like a tree house, like on the <laughs> stage. He was in this like tree house. And you, I think maybe you saw his shadow or something. <laughs> and these women were vying to be his princess. Wow. They didn't know him. They never met him. They knew nothing about him and they would look up at the treehouse and give their plea. And some of these women actually cried about it. Despite the fact they, they didn't know him. They didn't know him. They never even saw a picture of him. They didn't know anything about him. And they were like, I love you and I want to be your princess. <laughs> and it was like, Oh, like throw up in my mouth. And I worked on this show. So it's just like after working on the Osbournes and Newlyweds, which, you know, was pretty much the same thing. It was very real. Newlyweds, was real was people. And, Jennifer and, Simpson, or, and uh, Jessica, Jessica, Jessica Simpson. Simpson. Yeah. Everyone was real. Their parents were their parents. Their friends were their friends. Yeah. They were really married. They were really married. Um, and then, you know, after that, I kind of went out into the real world as a producer and started working on shows where they were manipulating the shit out of everything. I worked on a show where they made a kid cry or made the kid, it was like a nanny show, and they, the kid wasn't as misbehaved as they needed him to be wow. to warrant a nanny. So you had to get to, the kid to be bad. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it was like, it, it, it was like child abuse. I mean, it was ridiculous, but they just had to make it so over the top because that's what they were selling. And that's what viewers were buying. Right. And um, so but honestly, I watch no reality TV. I don't. The only kind of reality TV, like all, you know, like we, we had those really funny, um, that those great chefs on yes. you know, fast food. I'll watch a cooking show. Yeah, like, like, I, I don't, like Top Chef. I don't, I, like, I, don't, I don't look at that as being a reality show. Right. I'm talking about these docu-drama bullshit, you know, that, yeah. that they feed people. Um, you know, I, I just, I just can't. And, you know, in the beginning when they started doing these shows and I would, you know, tell people, you know, it was like telling a kid there's no Santa Claus. Yeah, know? right. I'd be right. like, it's not real. And they would, oh, no, don't do that. Don't burst my bubble. I'm like, I, you're an idiot. 
They're, it's not real. <laughs> it's not real. I worked on a reality show, a real, like, a, like you know, like a docu-follow show yep. where they had a writer's room. Wow. They had a writer's room. We were scripting the show. That's and, the, crazy. And, the, and the executive producer said to me, if, if it gets out that you're telling people that we're doing this, I'll deny it. <laughs> wow. So you turned, I was at your birthday party. You turned 65 this last week. Mm-hmm. You got to be in a, you got to be in a reminiscing mode. I would think when you turn 65, don't you? Were you, were you reminiscing on this birthday? Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, it's a it's a milestone birthday that when you're younger, you're like, oh, what am I going to be doing when I'm 65? What am I going to look like? You know, uh, what's what's you know, what's you know, am I still going to be working? <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Um, you know, and uh, I have to say. I kind of sound like five years old, but it was the best birthday I ever had. Hmm. It was. um I loved, you know, it was a, it was an intimate group, you know, yep. it was everybody, you know, there were a couple of people that didn't, that didn't make it that were invited, but, um, and you know, it was hard, you know, what, what's the cutoff, you know, I mean, there was a, you know, there was a short list, but I wanted it to be the people who are the closest in my life right now. And, um, and, uh, I just didn't want it to be too many people because already, there were people that I didn't get to talk to as much as I sure, wanted to. Sure. Um, but it was just a really, really, um, it was a really, really great, great day and everything leading up to it. You know, I'm, I'm at a point in my life right now where um, I'm really, really happy. And it's not that I wasn't happy before, but you know, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't worked for a living in a couple of years. Right. You know? Right. Um, fortunately I have a husband who, you know, his, you know, foot in the bills and um, I'm able to be uh, really creative right now. I'm, I'm working on a bunch of shows. Um, doing this podcast with you has been the biggest joy of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm just, you know, I'm, I, I think I'm the healthiest I've ever been. And, you know, I run, I play golf. Um, I, I love everybody who's in my life. And uh, I just, uh, if, if, you know, it's just a number. And I know it sounds kind of corny to say that, but, you know, I never, I don't think I ever thought that I would look or feel the way I do at, at 65. I don't think I ever thought that I would feel and look this way when I was in my 40s, you know, right. or in my, you know, my 30s, or even when I was 50. Um, but I certainly do not feel my age. And I think I said at my party, you know, I'm with, uh, you know, Tom, uh, a person who, you know, I, I act my shoe sized and not my age, you know, and, uh, that's the way I feel. And, yeah. um, I, I don't, I don't really feel like I'm 65. You know, you don't seem like you're 65. You don't look like you're 65. You don't act like you're 65. Um, when I tell people you, I told John Ireland, Sue is 65. Like, I can't believe that. I honestly, when you told me 65 a couple of weeks ago, I was like, really 65. It doesn't seem right to me. There's some disconnect. Well, that seems like a great place to, uh, to leave it. That was Aww. great. That was yeah. great. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. It's, uh, I, it was a fun, fun. I love that you brought this up as something to do on, on the podcast, you know? Well, you know, there are people out there listening. It's a really intimate 
format and, you know, your chances are somebody's listening on their earbuds or whatever. And you wonder who that person is. I think this is a good opportunity. We, you, you interviewed me. I interviewed you. Now people have a better understanding of who we are and the way the, the show all fits together, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. That was just great. Uh, well, there you have it. There is a very interesting culture pop podcast. I love doing that with, uh, with Sue. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the culture pop podcast on Apple and Spotify. Leave us a rating and a review. Sue salute to you. Ah, uh, thank you, Steve. And we'll see everybody next time on the culture pop podcast.